Amen. Let's go ahead and read here. I'm going to read two sections of Scripture, one in 1 Thessalonians and one in 2 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And turning over to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, and starting in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. I want to speak to you on the subject of the second coming of Christ, and in particular, that this, this second coming of Christ is spoken of in the Bible as the day that Christ is revealed. He's revealed among all mankind. All mankind will behold Christ as he is. And uh, kind of just as a foundation of this, in terms of Christ coming back, um, some people kind of have foggy ideas about Jesus, his death, and his, his resurrection, you know, kind of liberal theology kind of would say, oh yeah, he kind of, he rose in spirit or he, you know, he just kind of lives in everyone's hearts. Uh, but the Bible actually teaches that Christ in his first coming was truly man. He truly died upon the cross. God bodily, truly raised him bodily from the dead. And according to the book of Acts, he bodily ascended into heaven. And you don't have to turn here if you don't want, but I just wanted to read this from the, the short section from the book of Acts. Uh, this was the, the, uh, the record of the ascension of Christ. And after he had said these things, Acts chapter 1, he was lifted up while they were looking on, 
and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, presumably angels. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So pretty amazing. Even the, at the outset, the, the first day he leaves, they're talking about him coming back, that he's going to return to this world. As Matthew Henry said, he will descend from heaven into this our air. I kind of like that. He's coming back into this, this atmosphere, this place, this world. And so the question is, why contemplate these things? Why should we think about these things this morning? And to which I would say God repeatedly put this in the scripture. I mean, it is all over. Jesus himself repeatedly talked about it. He talked about it in his parables. Paul talked about it. Peter talked about it. John talked about it in their epistles. Uh, It's all over. And so it has a great importance in living the Christian life and in grasping Christian truth as to how we're to live in expectation of this day. You know, Wang Ming Dao, many of you are familiar with him. There's that biography, A Stone Made Smooth. You know, he grew up kind of in a, it was just kind of a moral type Christianity. He never heard the gospel, but one time he heard someone preach that Christ was coming back. And that was the first thing that God used in his life that he began to think about actually the gospel. He's like, whoa, he's, he's coming back. Like, I need, I need to do something. I need to prepare for when Christ is going to return. And so it's important. And so the main point that I wanted to bring out today uh, is this, and I wanted to read some scriptures to you, you don't have to turn to these, is that it is on this day that Christ will be revealed to all mankind. Luke 17.30, Jesus said, It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. He's revealed. 1 Corinthians 1.7, Awaiting eagerly, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.3, 3, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Second Thessalonians 1.7, we read it, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. Beloved, there's coming a day when we will no longer worship an unseen Christ. When, when no longer it will be by faith, but our own eye, if we're still alive when he comes, our own eyes will behold him. Every eye will behold him, according to the Bible. No longer by faith. This age will be over. The new one will come. So this is the truth of the Bible. He's coming back. You know, and, and I thought about this. Think about this from Christ's perspective. The man seated on the throne at the right hand of God. If he came back now, it would have been 2,000 years since his death, he's coming back to the same world he left. I mean, the same, the same Bethlehem that he grew up in is still there today. The same Jordan River that he was baptized in. It's like he's been gone all this time, and he's coming back to the same, same old world, the same Jerusalem with the same old hill that he was crucified outside of, the same God-man, the man Christ Jesus, coming back into this world. Just as, just as real as you and I are sitting here, that's... That's how real it is that the man, Jesus Christ, is going to return upon the clouds of heaven. So uh, in thinking about this, I thought, well, how, how are men going to react to this? How is the world going to react to this when this takes place, this event takes place? 
And the first question I wanted to ask is this, how does the world presently view Christ? To which there might be as many answers as there are people. I mean, you ask people on campus, who do you think Jesus is? I mean, you're going to get a hundred different answers. Well, I like to think he's like this, or I like to think he's like that. But as a general principle in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about how he used to know Christ according to the flesh. In other words, there was nothing spiritual about his knowledge of Christ. He just viewed him as some nuisance, as some man, as some troublemaker for Judaism. He saw no beauty or majesty or glory in him. And that's how the world views Christ. You know, I mean, um, here's, here's, here's a few things uh, to think about. Many people view Christ as an old, dead, historical figure. And this was even going on in the book of Acts. Acts 25, Festus was before Agrippa. He had Paul there, and uh, he's talking about Paul, and he says, they had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. So he's talking about, he's like, oh, yeah, this dead, this dead guy, Jesus. But Paul, this guy Paul is saying, he's alive, he's alive. Uh, but that's how, that's how a lot of people think about him. They think of him as a small, little, tiny, old, historical figure. He's, he's dead and gone. It's just a thing of the past. It has nothing to do with our present life, our present day and age. How do other people think of him? Well, they think of him as a nuisance, don't they? I mean, he's kind of a stumbling block. He's, he's kind of getting in the way of all the progressive modern thinking, right? I mean, you kind of, all these old Stone Age Bible believers saying that homosexuality is wrong, and he's, he's just kind of putting a wrench in everything that we're trying to accomplish, and he's this nuisance, you know? I mean, or if you went to communist China, you'd say, oh, he's a nuisance, you know? We want the people to respect the state. The state is ultimate. And here these people are proclaiming another king who's higher than the state. Your, your allegiance should be higher than the state government. Uh, so they view, people in the world, they view him as, as a problem, as a nuisance. Or how about this one, not real. You know, people view him as a fairy tale. They really do. You talk to some people, they laugh. They will laugh in your face when you talk to them about Christ. You know, and, or they'll tell you something like that. this. You know, they'll say, well, that's, that's good for you, as long as it makes you feel good on the inside. You know, and... What they really mean is, yeah, like, I wish I could believe something as foolish as you do, you know, and, and make me feel comforted as well. They don't believe he's real. It's a, it's a fairy tale to them. How about this one? They view Christ as weak or as impotent. You know, I mean, I used to, this used to be me. I used to think of Christ, you know, if I saw Christians singing or I went to the, the youth group before I was converted, you know, I used to think, like, this is so weak, you know, and just pathetic. Like, Christ is... You know, you're talking about Jesus, like that's so weak. It's just, you know, I remember one sister here, she testified, she would see people crying in the meetings, and she would just think, they're so weak, you know, and uh, just they're, they're blind to the reality, aren't they? I mean, try this, you know, go up to some construct, you know, some group of uh, a construction crew with some men and ask them if they love Jesus, you know, and see what their reaction is, you know, I mean. They will laugh in your face. You know, in their mind, the world views Christ as he's nothing. He's, it's just pathetic. Like, why would I even give a thought to this Jesus? How about us Christians? How do we see Christ now? Well, we see as in a mere dimly. That's how we see now. We do see by faith. We do see the reality. We see who Jesus really is, that he's powerful, he's glorious, he's the son of God. But it's dimly, and it comes and goes. There's some days when you see more of him. And there's some days where you feel distant and you don't see much at all. 
But we do see, if, you, if you're a true believer, you can see. You have eyes to see. So that's how the world sees him now. But the question I want to ask now is this, how shall we see him then? And if you want to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24, I'll tell you how you're going to see him then. Starting in verse 23, Jesus is talking about the last days. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, he is in their inner rooms. Do not believe them. That, that's happened repeatedly in history. Oh, the, the Messiah's back. He's out here. You've got to come out into the wilderness. He's saying, don't ever believe anything like that. That's not how it's going to be. Verse 27, how is it, how's it really going to be? For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So how is it going to be when Christ comes? It is going to be public. I mean, it is going to be cosmic in size. I mean, he said as the lightning flashes, you see it flash to the other side of the sky. I mean, it's going to be before all men. Everyone is going to know. It says that he is coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. In the first advent of Christ, when he first came, he came in humility, right? He came in obscurity. No one, no one knew except those shepherd guys, you know, and Mary and Joseph, just a few select people. In obscurity, in weakness, in humility as a baby. But not, not this time. This time he's coming with all of the pomp, with all of the glory of heaven. To coming back into this world as a king, as a judge. I mean, beloved, think about this. The brightness of his glory is going to flood our world. I mean, you will look up in the sky. If we're alive when Christ comes, you will look up in the sky, and the brightness of his glory is going to illuminate the whole world. In regard to this thing of power and glory, Barnes said this. He said, there will be great exhibitions of both. The power will be seen in the convulsions of nature. I mean, I don't even know what some of these things mean. I don't know if it's symbolic or if it's literal, you know, but he says the powers of the heavens will be shaken. I mean, you get the feeling that it's like cosmic things are happening in the universe when he comes, you know, I mean, just massive things. His power will be seen in the convulsions of nature which precede or attend him and in the resurrection of the dead and the bringing of all to judgment. I mean, when he comes, dead bodies are going to be bursting out of the ground. I mean, with, in a glorified new state, his people all being called to an account, bringing all to judgment 
and the glory will be seen in his own person. How else will he be revealed on this day? Well, it says that he will be revealed with all his holy angels. Listen to some of these verses. Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. Second Thessalonians, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Listen to this one. This, I, didn't, I didn't even realize this was in the Bible almost. Jude 14 and 15. It was about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with his holy ten thousands to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, it says he's coming with his holy ten thousands. And, brethren, I want you to contemplate this. I mean, in the Old Testament, we have an account of one angel that killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. I mean, one angel. And he's coming to this world with tens of thousands, myriads of angels. He's the Lord of hosts. Think of the authority. I mean, he just says, go, do this, and they do it. I mean, these mighty, mighty creatures that could destroy this whole building in a second. King Jesus, you know, uh, one thing I wanted us to think about is this. You know, we don't really appreciate this as much, you know, but in our text in Thessalonians, he talks about giving relief. You know, these believers are being persecuted. And that's the story for much of the church. They're living under oppression every day. You know, I mean, think about living as a Christian in China. You know, I mean, or think about what it would have been like to live in Cambodia, you know, 30 years ago with the Khmer Rouge. I mean, it was a communist uprising. They killed two million of their own people. I mean, horrible, horrific stories. And what would it be like if you were there in that oppressed situation and all of a sudden you heard, there's armies coming. There's a righteous army or the U.S. Army's coming. They're coming to free us all. I mean, there'd be such joy. There'd be such elation. There's, there's, they're going to set us free. There's liberty coming. And brethren, that's what it's like. This world is evil. And the Christians are oppressed and Christ is coming. I mean, he's coming in military might. I mean, it's, he's coming with all of the angels of God to, to put an end to evil once for all time, to liberate. They're coming to minister, his angels are coming to minister justice and mercy, to do whatever he says. Think about this, brethren. In a moment of time, sin is going to stop. I mean, I mean people... Do you realize likely the sex slave trade will still be going on when Christ comes? I mean, that's, that's probably a guarantee. There's going to be people that are in that situation. I mean, there are people that are going to be cursing. There's people that are going to be plotting murder. There's war still going to be going on. In a moment of time, sin will stop when the glory of Christ fills it. Everyone has to stop what they're doing because it says, God says every eye is going to see him. How does that work geographically? I have no idea, but I know God's going to make sure it happens. Every eye is going to see him. And the angels of God will pour forth into this world of man. So he'll be revealed with his holy angels. How else will he be revealed? He will be revealed as a savior, right? The world mocked the idea of Christ being a Oh, Jesus, you know, he's going to save you from your sins. 
You know, they mocked that. They laughed at that. They scoffed at that. You know, there's not going to be any mocking or laughing when they see those people that they knew were living a holy life being caught up in the air to meet the Lord. I mean, there's not going to be any laughing on that day. There's not going to be any mocking. They'll know that Jesus was the real Savior. They'll say, they'll say, I remember that guy's life. I remember that woman's life. They really were different. He really did save them from their sins. And look, here's the proof. They're meeting him in the air. It will be glorious beyond imagination. Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, that was his first coming, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. He said, it's, the Bible says he's coming back to save us, to save his people. I mean, many of our hymns are like, come Lord Jesus, take thy waiting people home. 1 Peter 1.13, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's coming to bring grace. He's coming to conform you perfectly to his image and eradicate sin in your life, to give you a glorified body. Paul says it's a mystery in the twinkling of an eye. We shall all be changed. He's coming to eradicate sin in us. When he appears, what does it say? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says we're waiting. We're waiting for our Savior to come. He's coming to take his church home. He says to gather his elect from the four corners of the earth the four winds he comes to fully save his people he will be revealed as savior what how else will he be revealed on that day he will be revealed as judge the bible says that god has appointed a man by which he will judge the world in righteousness He comes to right every wrong, right? He comes to balance the scales of justice. If you're outside of Christ, the scales are unbalanced right now, right? You've got a bad record. You've got a bunch of sins on your account, and he's coming. He's coming out to deal out retribution, justice, punishment for the wicked. You better be on his side. Oh, you better be on his side when he comes. Man set in judgment upon him. You know, that's... That's what wicked men do all the time. They sit in judgment upon Christ. They pick apart the Bible. Well, I don't like this part, or I, don't, I prefer not to think about Jesus like this. They won't take him as he is here. You know, they sit in judgment upon him. Oh, I don't like to think of a Jesus that would send men to hell. But not now. Now they will see the reality. I don't sit, I'm not above him. He's above me. They're going to see it with their own eyes, that he sits as judge. He sits as king to judge men. Holy, unbending justice, fury, I mean fury, the fury of a holy God against sin. We shall see him, how shall we see him? We shall see him as he is. That's what the Bible says. Think about this, all the lies that have ever been told about Christ, they're going to be righted in a moment. I mean, everybody's going to see him as he really is. Everything that obscured him, everything that covered over him, totally stripped away in the the glory (laughs) to see the glory of christ no one can fathom the full impact it will have upon the constitution of man i mean people are going to be wailing i mean they will be convulsing strength will leave men's bodies we will fall on our faces all the strength that you thought you ever had will be totally stripped from you 
beholding the glory of the Son of God, the Son of Man, when he comes. He was ignored. He was evaded. You go out on campus, you try to talk to people, they try to go the other way. They try to evade you. They try to get away. Your coworker, they, they see you coming. They know, oh, that person loves Jesus. I hope he doesn't try to talk to him about Jesus today. They spent, people spend a lifetime evading, ignoring, pushing Christ away. But then, fully confronted with the full reality, the full weight of who he is. Think about this. All false religion will be gone in a moment. I mean, every, every Muslim is going to know at that point, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Every, every Buddhist is going to know Buddha was nothing. Christ is the Son of God. Every atheist, their, their supposed atheism will be gone. Every false philosophy, deism, will be gone. They'll, re- they'll realize there is a personal God. There is a Lord. Forced by what their eyes behold to acknowledge the reality. So what, is the, what will be the response of mankind? Well, according to Matthew 24 there, there will be mourning. It says that all of the tribes of the earth will mourn. There will be wailing. There will be mourning. Why? Mourning because they feel bad for their sin? No, I don't think so. Mourning because they've been caught. Mourning, mourning because the, the, the door is shut. The, the time of salvation is over. You know, some of you may have experienced, you know, when you were a kid or maybe even as an adult when you were caught in the act, right? I mean, you were caught red-handed like while you're trying to steal something or do something wrong and your parent walked in and you know you're caught that that is one of the worst feelings that you can possibly feel i mean just the it's like judgment day has come upon you or something just the guilt you know i mean they they caught you right then and there brethren it's going to be like that when christ comes i mean it will be horrible horrible men will be caught red-handed in their sin and th- think of how horrible to be for you, you who have heard of Christ. You have heard of salvation if you're still rejecting Christ. And you're caught. And you think back over a lifetime of having heard the word of God. Of being around Christians. Having Christian parents. Being taught the truth. And you slighted him. You, you, you evaded him. It will be horrible. There will be mourning. There will be a great humbling of the pride of man. Right? I mean men walk around. They think they are God. They love telling people what to do. You do this, you do that. Oh, brethren, it's going to be done away. Or you think of just the pride. You know, even there's a wrong sort of pride even in having been in the military. Or I've got these records, you know, and they're praised by man because I've got this record. Or I did this heroic thing. Brethren, that won't matter on the day of judgment. All that pride is going to be done away. Christ alone is going to be exalted. It says the pride of man shall be abased. There will be terror Revelation 6.12, it says that men will call on the rocks and hills to cover them. They're saying, I would rather this mountain come down on my head than to face the wrath of the Lamb. I mean, that's serious. If you're to the point where you would say, I'd rather have a mountain fall on my head, whatever the alternative is far exceedingly worse. Terror. What will be the response of the saved? Brethren, there will be joy. Because we know it's over. The, the battle's won. Sin is going to be done. We're being caught up in the air. It says to meet the Lord in the air. Joy. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says that we will marvel. I mean, that the believers, those who have believed the testimony of God, will marvel. I mean, they will admire him. We're going to sit there and just admire Christ, that he has come. He's come to take his people home. 
He's come to liberate this world of sin. There will be worship. We'll worship God. There's going to be relief. Think of all the believers. Think of our sister in Asia, just the oppression. You know, just relief, done. All, all these things that have weighed down upon believers, all of the attacks of Satan and sin and of wicked men, of wicked governments, totally lifted off their shoulders at the coming of Christ. So, brethren, the question is this. How, how should we live now in light of this truth? And I think the Bible gives us some answers. And the first one I want to point out is this. We should live in hope and expectation. Like Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior. Do you realize the Bible uses the word eagerly several times in connection with believers and the expectance of the coming of Christ? Let me ask you that. Is that a reality in your life? Are you eagerly awaiting the second coming? Brother John Piper, you know, many of you, we love that brother. We know, we know about him. Uh, he, he fasts once a week for the second coming of Christ. I thought that was kind of cool. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he's longing to keep him real. You know, I mean, to have a real mindset. This world is not our home. You know, and the, the reality is this. You know, it is hard to hold tight to this world and hold tight to eagerly waiting for Christ at the same time, isn't it? You can't really do both. And so it's a good test of where you are spiritually today. You know, are you eagerly awaiting Christ? Is that where your hope lies? Or are you putting too much stock in this world? You know, are you, are you hoping too much in an earthly life or an earthly retirement or whatever? You know, where that's what your mind is thinking about all the time is this life, this life, this world, present needs, present comforts. You know, a lot of that would be done away with if we were, if the church in America was to be persecuted. Surely many of these things would start becoming more real to us. But brethren, wherever we are, we're called to suffer for Christ. Even if we're here, we're called to deny ourselves, to deny ourselves of comforts. I mean, we have our sister over there in Asia. I mean, do we have no suffering to bear with her? Do we have no things to deny in our own life to enter in, to spend more time in prayer for her, to enter into those sufferings? The true church is a suffering church. How else shall we live in light of this truth? Well, the Bible says in holiness. Listen to this verse from Second Peter. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, it's talking about the world destroyed by fire when Christ comes again, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God? He's saying... In, Knowing that this is what's going to happen to this world, how should you live? You should live holy. You should live separate from worldliness, from sin. Hastening the coming day of God. I mean, many of the parables, does it not surprise you? I mean, in many of the parables that Christ talks about going away for a long time and and then coming back. And he's warning constantly about be on the alert. Be ready. The, The thief, you know, the thief's at the door, you know, and... He's saying we should be living in that reality. Don't be like the wicked, lazy slave. You know, you know is that a motivation to the Christian life? I'd say, yeah, it is, because he said it over and over again. Don't, don't be like that. You know, live with a sense of trembling, a sense of fear that Christ is coming again. I have a, I've been entrusted with these gifts to use and to make it count for eternity. How else shall we live? Patiently enduring evil. Second Thessalonians 1. He says it's only right for God to render out justice to those who have afflicted you. 
He's, ta- he's saying that to encourage him. Don't worry about it. Don't take vengeance yourself. Just leave it to God. Relief is coming. He's going to deal with sin. You know, many times, I mean, if you read the news regularly, you can get bogged down. I mean, like, really, spiritually bogged down, just thinking. If you think too much about the wickedness that's in the world, I mean, I think that's why Paul said in regard to evil, be infants. You know, don't think about it that much. Whatever's true, right, lovely, praiseworthy, dwell on those things. If you start to think about it too much, I mean, it will overwhelm you. It will lead you to depression. And this truth should remind us evil is going to be decisively dealt with. I mean, it's going to be totally eradicated by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, brethren, we're, we're, we're awaiting this day when Christ shall be revealed. Are you living in light of it? Is it real in your mind? Is it real in your everyday life? Will God, God help us make it to be so? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do just say that we long for the day of your coming, the day of the righting of every wrong, and the day that you'll redeem our bodies and we'll be caught up in the air to meet you and ever be with the Lord. I think of how you said to comfort one another with these words, Lord, and uh, what a comfort it is, Lord, that you're coming, coming for your people. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us just to live in light of these truths. Thank you so much. Thank you for such a gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.